First Timothy or Second Timothy chapter one. I want you to look again with me, if you would. Verse thirteen. You'll notice Paul uses an interesting word when he repeats, which he repeats later in this same epistle. Verse thirteen says, "Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus." Now the word we're highlighting this morning, you'll notice, is the word "sound." The Greek word for this is hygiano, which is where we get the word hygiene. We talk about people that are of a sound mind, have a sound body, sound health. And so Paul says to Timothy, hold fast. That means hold tightly to sound words. Look at chapter 4, would you? Notice what it says in verse 3. It says, because for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Well, that's disturbing. The prophecy is that the time will come, he says, Paul says, when people will reject the sound, true, healthy words of Scripture and go after pathologies, poisons, tainted deceits of the world. And I have to say that the same Greek word is sometimes translated, it's translated elsewhere as the word wholesome. Paul said, if any man, quote, teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome, there's that Greek word hygienai. In other words, if any consent not to sound words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is proud knowing nothing. Oftentimes the word for sound refers to something that's solid, not hollow. 175 years ago, when gold was common as a currency, people would literally bite down on a gold coin to make sure that it was solid and not hollow. When I was a welder in Bible college, we would x-ray some of the vertical wells to make sure that they were solid all the way through. Solid oak is more real or true than hollow wood. And of course, the greatest tragedy of all is in several weeks from now, When you bite into a solid milk chocolate bunny, you find out that it's hollow. Amen? Paul knew a man like that. He's in verse 14 of chapter 4. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. That was all about hollow chocolate. So you have hollow chocolate, hollow promises, hollow theology, and hollow words. Hold fast, the Bible says, to sound words, sound doctrine. That which is healthy and true and real and life-changing, thus the eternal words of the living God. Father, please speak to our hearts, and I pray for just the next few moments you will help us to not be distracted. And I pray you'll help us to focus on what the Spirit says to the church. And I need your help this morning, as always, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things in this morning text I want us to consider very carefully with reference to those things in this world that are actually empty and hollow, and thus those comparing to those things that are from God, those that are sound or real. And the first, the most obvious thing in the text, is what God says, number one, about a real Bible. Look at chapter four again, would you please? Verse two says, preach the word. That's a command for me as a pastor. It doesn't say preach around the word or about the word or use the word. Preach the word. 
Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For, here it is, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now folks, there is in this world today a genuine, a bona fide, an absolute, an original, authentic, real, certified, sound fountain of truth. There is the true revelation of God. And then, of course, as the text shows, there are also in the world and have always been all kinds of hollow, artificial, fake and fraudulent counterfeit imitations of that real thing. Chapter 4, look at verse 4. And they, these are the ones who reject sound doctrine, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. In other words, there is the Bible, God's Word. And there are also little hollow Bibles, if you will, that consist of man's words, and they're just fables. Now, I know this. I know that there are folks, perhaps even in this room right now, who would instantly object to what I've just said. And they would say something like, well, pastor, you can't say that. Nobody has a corner on the truth. Nobody has the exclusive word of God. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And you can't just go out there and say that anybody has the only word of God. To that, I would ask a question. Why not? Now, I will agree with anybody and you that it's delusional and it would be egotistical to say that any one person or one church or one group has a corner or exclusive knowledge of every interpretation of that truth or every understanding of that truth. That, I would agree, would be foolish. But guess what? It's even more foolish to claim that everybody, that everybody has a corner on the truth and that everybody can have his or her own truth. Everybody cannot do that. However, there is truth. There is absolute and sound, infallible truth, and it is called the Bible. Chapter 3, right across the page, behind it, look at verse 15. Paul says, Timothy, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Greek word is theonoustos. It means breathed. God breathed the words. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Wait a minute. Holy Scriptures, God-breathed, that, beloved, is truth. That is this book, the Word of God. And yes, again, in addition to the truth, there are also hollow pretenders to that truth. And let me just say that in most disciplines in the world, nobody really would argue with that. You realize that, right? In most anything else in the world that's a discipline, nobody would really argue with that. You take math, for example. We have a couple of high school math teachers here today, Dwyer and South Fork, and I think another one. They teach from textbooks. I have one up here today. And, you know, geometric formulas, 
graphing, fraction notation, polynomials. Some of you are getting PTSD. I can see it on your face right now. <laughs> now, wouldn't I be crazy? Wouldn't I be narrow-minded, a math thumper, if I said that this old math book is true? Go to this math book because what it says is true. I believe it. Would you say, no, 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 pastor. Look, it's all yellowed. It's old. It's antiquated. I don't believe that anybody has a corner on math truth. Suppose I write my own math book. I wrote a book on math, and it's called Post-Algebra. And in Jimmy Mathland, when you simplify minus 9 times minus 7, you come up with Krispy Kreme donuts. Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's on page 287. I wrote it. And in my math, 3,288 divided by 52 does not equal 63.2. That's so 2022. For me, it equals a Big Mac. And if you add 1,000 to that, you get a big box of sour gummies. Amen. That's my math. It's my math. And I believe in it. It's my truth. And if you're so judgmental and intolerant, that you would call my math crazy, well, then you're not very open-minded, are you? I'm also writing my own science book. It doesn't believe in water, sunlight, gravity, or X and Y chromosomes don't exist anymore. Because after all, nobody has a corner on the truth, do they? Do they? Now, I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about this. Is it reasonable to assume that the creator of the universe and creation testifies that there is a designer, a great creator? Is it reasonable to assume that the one who made you, who created you with a spirit and a soul in the image of God, is it reasonable to know that that same God wants his truth to be known to you? That is, to his own creation. Of course it is. So here's the question. What text do you suppose he put his truth in? If God wants his creation to know him and his truth, where is it? Is it in the Book of Mormon that Joseph Smith concocted in 1830 by claiming that he found some golden tablets of Nephi? Is it in the Quran? That some nomads pulled together by copying fragments of the Old Testament and the New Testament in desert caves. Maybe it's those dusty old writings of Voltaire. He was the greatest philosopher who ever lived. He said in 1778 that the Bible would be eliminated in his own lifetime. Voltaire died two months later in Paris. His very house was used 60 years later to print Bibles. Where is the truth of God? Well, I say with Paul this morning, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. 1 Peter 1.21, the apostle Peter said this, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Men wrote the Bible, they sure did, but God breathed his words into those men. And I'm telling you this morning, this is the eternal 
and the infallible and preserved Word of God. Now, I'm pretty sure that this is the truth about algebra. 99.99% sure. But I'm 100% sure that this is the Word of God. I know that this is the word of the living God, nothing hollow, nothing faux, nothing artificial whatsoever about the power or the purity of this book. But pastor, what about those scholars? All the scholars in the world that reject this book, who sure they've never read it, not really, and sure they have no relationship with the one who inspired it, they don't know Jesus, God is not their father. What about those books on evolution, materialism? Chapter 3, verse 7. It describes them ever learning, ever always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. As Janes and Dambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further. What does that mean, Pastor? That these false teachers will proceed no further. Well, what happened to Jim Jones? What happened to David Koresh? What happened to Alexander the coppersmith? Verse 9 again, look at it. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Who's theirs? Janes and Jambres. They were Pharaoh's witch doctors who opposed Moses, who opposed the word of God. And what happened to them? Anybody reading their books? Well, Pastor, what happened to Moses after that? Oh, I don't know, about 3,000 years later, I see him on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus himself. And his words are still transforming lives. Some things are real. And some things are fake. Years ago, Annie and I were riding to visitation, on visitation together. He had just come home from college. And we were turning to Indian Town Road, and he pointed to O'Terry's Jewelers. And he said, Dad, I'm saving money. I never pass by O'Terry's without remembering that someday some lucky girl is going to get a rock from me from that jeweler. <clears throat> and I said, Andy, I got two words for you, buddy. Cubic zirconia. <laughs> I know, fake. Fake equals cheap. And you know what, beloved? It works because to this day, Crystal still thinks that her ring is real. <laughs> but you know, beloved, listen, the woods are full of cheap substitutes. The Bible says their word doth eat as a canker, as a disease. CZs and counterfeits are everywhere. And you know you can see the fruit of all of it with the emptiness all through our society. You know, here's your graph. And some of you younger folks may not quite understand or appreciate this, but I know all the rest of you will. As the Bible in society... As the word of God, the truth of scripture is put into decline in our schools and our government by design. As the word of the living God is placed in decline, they insist that God be out of public schools, be out of our government and the rest of it. So too is America in decline. Hand in hand. 
God used Great Britain a long time ago to give us the King James Bible. And now that empty, weak, hollowed-out nation, they're just a few years ahead of us in degradation. We said, number one, what does God say about the real Bible? The second thing you'll notice, number two, is what does God say about the real battle? It's going to get very practical for a moment, but I think helpful. Look at verse 7, chapter 4. Paul says, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course, I've kept the faith. Now, many of you here have heard me say in the past that, you know what, if there's such a thing as a good fight, I've fought a good fight. There must be such a thing as a bad fight. In 1 Timothy, Paul says in chapter 6 and verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. One fight is real. It is sound. All the other fights are phony and foolish. And sure enough, that's exactly what Paul says before this. I'm going to read it to you. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not, there's that word, wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come a strife, envy, railings, evil surmitings, perverse disputings of men. Boy, there's a lot of fighting going on, that's for sure. But beloved, it's obviously not the good fight. Paul says, fight the good fight. 2 Timothy 2.3, look at it. He says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Why? Why does he tell Timothy to be a good soldier, not just a soldier? Why does he tell us to fight the good fight, not just a fight? It's because, folks, as a pastor and missionary, he saw a lot of bad fights. And I've seen a lot of bad fights. Fight the good fight of faith. The child of God here this morning, you and I only have so much energy. We only have so much time and resources and life in this world. The reservoir of time and life and energy is literally running out with each passing day. So, why? Why would you waste any of that fighting relatives and fellow believers over who gets grandpa's pipe collection? Who gets to sit where at the wedding reception? You know, that's the bad fight. I can tell you what happened one time many years ago here in the old building. One of our ladies came to me and she said, Pastor, I need your help. I want you to call the deacons together because there's another lady in the church She's fighting with this lady. And this lady crossed the line, Pastor. And I thought, whoa, this has got to be serious. I said, what did she do? She said, Pastor, she named her baby what I was going to name my baby. (laughs) Now, this girl's not even expecting yet. (laughs) This is a future name. And we're supposed to exercise church discipline and call people together fighting over future baby names. And men are as bad or worse. Fighting over stuff that takes your time and your energy and your life and your resources while all around us our nation is decaying and souls are perishing and youth are drifting and hurting and missionaries are struggling. If we're going to fight, and we should, we're called to fight. Fight the good fight. Be good soldiers. If we're going to fight, let's fight the real enemy. The real enemy. 
I mean, is Satan not working hard enough against your children and your grandchildren, against our country and homes and against God's kingdom, that we have time and use ammunition on fellow soldiers and loved ones and saints? Those are hollow fights. Those are empty fights. You should not expect any medals, any crowns, any rewards, any blessings from God here when you're fighting for personal selfish pursuits. Well, it's the principle of the thing, Pastor. What principle? Is that principle found here in the sound words of God, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the same Bible, by the way, that says, suffer yourself to be defrauded. Allow yourself to be defrauded. Let every man seek not his own good. You know, Jesus said that before you go to war, you sit down and you count the cost. The bad fight, it's never worth it. Count the cost. I was in Publix the other day, and I walked by in the produce section some watermelon. Now, I know better. You don't buy watermelon in January in Florida. But it looked like yummy watermelon, so I bought it. I buy it in June always because it's perfect. I bought it. It's not grown in Florida. It's grown in Central America or Brazil. That's a long way for watermelon to travel. Not only did it not taste very well, and it didn't, it was way too pricey, which is to say it just wasn't worth it. Why don't you look at the bad fight and say it's just not worth the price? Number one, the real Bible, the Scripture. Number two, the real battle, the real struggle. And then finally, the third thing you'll notice, number three, is the real believer. That's salvation. Look at chapter three, and please don't miss this, 2 Timothy. Verse 14, Paul says, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, here it is, this is great, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Beloved, when it comes to salvation from sins and salvation from hell, when it comes to the real and sound and true plan, God's plan of being saved, in the true words of God, it is clear and exclusive. Salvation is by grace through faith. Alone. Not sincerity, not good works, not religion, not effort. Let me read to you a powerful but forgot, oft-forgotten text by God's people. I'm reading from the Apostle John in 1 John. Here's what it says. These are the last words of the epistle. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. That's either true or it's not. Three times in one verse, the Holy Spirit contrasts that which is true against that which is not true. And beloved, living in this current society, we of all people ought to recognize that some things are real and some things are not real. There's crab salad that's real and there's crab salad spelled with a K. Kmart crab. It's white fish. It's got red lines painted on it, and it's spongy, and it's not real crab. There's real marble, genuine leather, solid brick, and there's faux marble, faux brick, and imitation leather. 
I had a softball glove once, and it said right on there, it said real imitation leather, whatever that is. <laughs> and you don't see a Mercedes advertising that the interior is 100% naugahyde. Plastic leather is called pleather, and guess what it's not? It's not real. Coca-Cola had a slogan, it's the real thing, remember? And then they came out with the fake thing, and nobody liked it, and everybody hated it. I want the real thing. If I go to a picnic, and I see this Winn-Dixie Cola that Remo brings that's cheap, I'm not going to drink it. I want the real thing, amen? <laughs> There's a lot of fake stuff in our world. There's fake nails. Fine, fake eyelashes, no big deal. False teeth, false tans. There's even fake hair. That is real, folks, real thing right there. <laughs> Both of them. Again, beloved, we of all people, of all people living in a society of substitutes ought to realize that some things are real and some things are not, including, primarily, because there's a real Satan, primarily the way of salvation. The question this morning is, are you saved for real? Have you trusted in the only Savior for mankind? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Are you trusting in the only one who can save you from your sin and eternity? Acts 4.12 says, There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. None other name other than Jesus. Christian, this is the real word of God. It tells us how to fight the real battle. It tells us what the real battles are. And it tells us how to live and speak the real gospel, the true gospel. For those in this room who are not sure about your salvation, the Lord Jesus is ready to save you. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You tired of your life of sin and struggling and trying to find it your way? Come to Christ, he says. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. No one moving, I wonder who'd say this morning, Pastor Blay, like I'm here today, and by the grace and the mercy of God, I know that I'm saved. I know that my sins are forgiven. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. But as a Christian, as a believer, I needed the message today. I needed the reminder. And in some capacity, God has spoken to my heart. If you're a Christian here today and that describes you, would you lift your hand up? God has spoken to you about something, and amen, and amen. Praise the Lord. Most most everybody. In a group this size, there would be some, if not many, who've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. I was a boy. I was 12 years old. I was invited, knocked on my door, invited to ride a bus to church. Wasn't attending church. Didn't have a religion or a faith at all. And at 12 years of age, I heard the gospel. I heard that Jesus died for my sins, that I was a sinner. That the wages of sin was death, but the gift of God was eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. And I didn't have a lot of theology in my head. I didn't understand all of it, but I do remember getting on my knees upstairs beside my bed. I remember saying, Jesus, I don't understand all this, but I'm lost and I need you. And I got saved that day. Jesus changed my life. My name was written in heaven and yours can be. 
Pastor Blaylock, that's me. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Would you? I won't embarrass you or come to you. I just want to pray for you. I'm not sure. Would you pray for me that I could be sure? I see your hand, young man. Somebody else? Raise it up high. Anyone else? God bless you, young man. All right. We're going to pray in a moment, as always here at Beacon Baptist in the morning service, and we'll have a time of invitation. Brother Terry will lead us in a hymn, and as God speaks to each and every heart here, the altar's here if you need to use it. If you need to speak with someone, we'll be happy to speak with you about what the Bible says about having your name written in heaven. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you about, obey his voice, won't you? Father, bless the invitation we committed into your hands as always. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. That in a world of shifting sands, whereas you promised and, and told us in the New Testament that seducers would wax worse and worse in the last days, but that we have a firm foundation. We thank you for it. I pray, Father, we will embrace it more and more in these last days, that we will proclaim the gospel faithfully, recognizing that this is the real, true words of the living God. Bless those who have asked for prayer now, please, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.